Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a new podcast series I'm putting out, the Opinion Release Papers. FCPA Opinion Releases are a very useful tool that is baked into the statute, the FCPA itself. You can ask questions to the Department of Justice that are fact-based scenarios about an action your company would like to engage in and get an opinion back. These provide a great source of information for the compliance practitioner, in addition to being useful to the companies that utilize them. Over this series, I'm going to visit opinion releases and mine those for the facts of the presented to the Department of Justice and what the resolution was. The Opinion Release Papers is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, we take up Opinion Release 1201, which demonstrates the Department of Justice's willingness to evolve in its thinking and in best practices under a compliance program. Opinion Release 1201. This opinion release is significant as it demonstrated not only the evolving nature of best practices under the FCPA, but also the Department of Justice's thinking on the subject. I think the Department has once again underlined the fact-intensive nature of the analysis required under the FCPA and how companies, if they used a reasoned approach for a specific FCPA issue or problem, can go a long way towards protecting themselves from potential liability or exposure. Opinion Release 1201 notes that a U.S. lobbying firm, the requester herein, desired to contract with a third party, the consulting company, which has as one of its principles a member of the royal family in a country where the ro- where royalty still exists. The country in question is not a monarchy, and the royal family member has only held one governmental position in the country's government, that in the late 1990s. The work in question for which the consulting company would be hired is to lobby the country's foreign embassy here in the United States to represent the home country. The specific services that the consulting company would perform were stated as, quote, strategic advice and counsel on public policy and business development issues of interest to the foreign country embassy, as well as selected liaisons with the U.S. company and foreign country interlocutors on behalf of the foreign country embassy. So what were some of the representations made? Well, first of all, the consulting company represented that none of its members or principals are foreign officials. Second, that its principals and members were familiar with and agreed to abide by the FCPA and all anti-corruption laws applicable. Third, that it had adopted the OECD 13 Good Practices. Second, There was transparency. Here, the requester represented there was full transparency in not only the home country, but in the U.S. as well, of hiring this royal family member. That would be accomplished by publishing the names of not only the parties to the contract, but the actual contract and the principles uh, of the consulting company would sign individually. Compensation. Here were some interesting provisions listed in 1201, which provide a level of detail not previously seen in opinion releases regarding the issue of compensation. First, the parties would agree in advance on the scope of the consulting company's work for any set of services the consulting company provided. Additionally, any fee, rather the fee, would be at or below the amount charged by other entities for such services. In other words, a business justification based upon a market rate. 
Thereafter, the requester anticipated paying to the consulting company 20% of what it receives from the foreign embassy as work, so long as the percentage actually reflected the amount of work provided. The requester even went so far as to list the amount of money it is expecting to pay each principal of the consulting company on a monthly basis, that being $2,000 per month to each principal. Taking the 20% figure noted above, that would work out to $6,000 a month to the consulting company, which equates to $30,000 a month for lobbying services billing the foreign embassy. Contract review. In a footnote to 1201, it stated that the proposed agreement also provides both the requester and consulting companies agree that the requester will submit the proposed contract to the Department of Justice for review as well, and the agreement would not become effective until such approach approval rather is received. So what did the DOJ say about all this? After initially noting that a person's mere membership in a royal family of a foreign country by itself does not automatically disqualify or rather automatically qualify that person as a foreign official, the DOJ went on to reiterate its long-held position that each question must turn on a fact-intensive case-by-case analysis for resolution. The DOJ followed with a list of factors which should be considered, including the structure and distribution of power within a country's government, two, the royal family's current and historical legal status and powers, three, the individual position within the royal family and an individual's present and past positions within the government, four, the mechanisms by which an individual could come to hold a position with governmental authority or responsibility, five, the likelihood that an individual would come to hold such a position, six, an individual's ability directly or indirectly to affect government decision-making, and the catch-all and finally ubiquitous numerous other factors. In addition to the above, the Department of Justice relied upon factors from the district courts, including those expressed in the U.S. versus Carson. The foreign state's characterization of its entity and employees, the foreign state's control over the entity, the purpose of the entity's activities, the entity's obligations and privileges under the state's foreign law, including whether the entity exercised certain exclusive or controlling power to administer its designated functions, the circumstances surrounding the entity's creation, the foreign state's extent of ownership, including the level of financial support. I should also add that the this analysis should, should be supplemented by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals decision in Esquenazi. Finally, the DOJ reviewed factors that set it set forth in opinion release 1003 for the following factors of whether a royal family member is a foreign government official. The 1003 factors included how much control or influence the individual has over the level, level levers of government power, execution, administration, and finances, whether a foreign government characterizes an individual or entity as having governmental power, whether and under what circumstances an entity or an individual may act on behalf of or bind a foreign government. Based upon its analysis, the Department of Justice concluded that the royal family member does not presently qualify as a foreign official for the purposes of the FCPA. So what does all this mean? Well, Opinion Release 1201 emphasized, once again, there is no one-size-fits-all analysis under the FCPA. And while I probably would never have made the determination that a royal family member is not a foreign government official under the FCPA, Opinion Release 1201 makes clear that every analysis stands on its own facts and circumstances. The reason I would not have opined that a royal family member is not a foreign official is that I would have only used the status analysis that previously was in place. However, Opinion Release 
1201 introduced the duties analysis into the mix, and both analysis can be used going forward. So under the status analysis, the DOJ stated the foreign family member also cannot, by virtue of his membership in the royal family, ascend to a government position and has no benefits or privileges because of his status as a royal family member. But 1201 goes on to incorporate a duties analysis as well when it's stated, the royal family member has no power to affect a foreign country government's award of engagement that the requester seeks. I've often said one of the primary jobs of a lawyer is to take precedent from case law and apply it to the facts of a specific situation. In the FCPA arena, there is a dearth of case law precedent, but in most cases, the DOJ has used two types of analysis of who a foreign government official is. It is not clear from 1201 if the requester or the DOJ analyze the facts presented as using both of these tests, but whether they were lawyers representing the requester or DOJ, kudos to them for coming up with a new legal argument by combining both status and analysis duties. But it's equally important to the novel argument made it is the use of the opinion release procedure itself. Recognizing that it took some seven months to obtain an opinion release uh, does not take away from the power of the pr- procedure or the process. A lawyer faced with what I would have termed an intractable, intractable problem, that being a royal family member and the issue of a foreign governmental official under the FCPA. With some creativity in the legal argument and the use of the opinion release procedure, the requester was able to obtain a way forward which accomplished both its business goals and the goals of doing compliance in business with the FCPA. I believe the ultimate takeaway from Opinion Release 1201 is that the DOJ not only listens, but it considers all the facts. In other words, not only does the analysis change as facts evolve, but the final answer may change as well. And it does not necessarily mean that the new boss will be the same as the old boss, or you won't get fooled again into thinking there is absolutely positively no way to manage a potential FCPA issue. So one of your jobs as a lawyer or a compliance practitioner is to be creative, and Opinion Release 1201 shows you that there is a way to do so. The opinion release is also significant as it demonstrated not only the evolving nature of best practices, but also the Department of Justice is thinking about this. I think the DOJ has underlined once again the fact-intensive nature of its analysis and under the FCPA and how companies, if they use a reasoned approach for a specific FCPA issue or problem, can go a long way towards protecting themselves from FCPA liability. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this opinion release papers episode, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode when we take a data mining into the opinion releases from the Department of Justice around the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. The opinion release papers is a special presentation in the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.